Hey there, patrons. As I mentioned in the podcast yesterday with Kim Katzberg, I'm a little behind on releasing these bonus episodes for you. Just to, just a touch. Uh, yeah. So here's the podcast bonus that goes with episode 283. And I hope you enjoy it. T. Cooper was so much fun to talk to. And the film, if you haven't seen it yet, please watch Man Made and tell people about it. I, I think it's a really valuable film. Uh, so happy holidays. It's Christmas Eve as I record this 2019. I forgot what year it was. And um, I'm so grateful you all are here. Um, I'm going to be over the next couple of days getting these zines ready to send out for you, the three winters zines. And um, it's just really lovely that you're all here. I'm looking forward to a new year of uh, increased production with my own passion work. Um, and it feels really nice to be redirecting my energy. Um, so you all are here on the ground floor, if you will. I mean, assuming there are new floors built and I, there will be, and, um, I'm just really grateful. So I will talk to you all soon. hope you enjoyed this bonus interview and there will be more this week. Hey, patrons, welcome to your bonus podcast episode for this week. Joining me now is this week's guest, T. Cooper. If you missed that main interview, definitely check it out. We talked about his film, Man Made. Um, yay. Welcome again, T. Thanks for doing this. Yes, thank you for the bonus, the bonus round. <laughs> bonus round. That's what I should call this. I'm <laughs> stealing that. Um, the I'm curious about any surprising responses to the film. Anyone, like, it, 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 general public people in your life, anyone respond to it in a way you didn't expect? Um, I have two things. One is that's so cool is that Mason, one of the characters, um, he was told, if you watch the film, you'll see he's very um, estranged from his family, had some really rough, rough times with them. Um, And his dad heard about the film playing at a festival in North Carolina. And he went by himself, drove like whatever, an hour, went and saw the film and called Mason afterwards. And, you know, they don't talk like he didn't go to his kid's wedding. You know what I mean? Like they, they're not in each other's lives. And he called Mason and literally was like, for the first time, he was like, I'm so proud of you. You're my son. You know, I, I'm so sorry. I got it wrong. Like it, oh. it, it literally brought them together. Wow. Yeah, it was that's that's like, and this guy's like a conservative Long Island cop. And, and he just, it, you know, it just brought him to his knees. And I just love that, you know, and, and, and they're not, parents aren't really portrayed very well in the film when Mason shares, you know, his history. And, um, but this guy was just like, for the first time in his life said, I'm proud of you. And I love you. Uh, that like, that's heavy, uh, obviously, but that can you, have you, did you even dream of that type of response coming from the film? I mean, hell no. I, you don't, you know, you can't even you're just going blind. It's like you're going 90 miles an hour with blindfolds on in a, in a race car, you know? And so, you, you know, it's like when you, when you screech to a halt and people start seeing it, yeah, things stop you and you go, Oh my God, like, yeah, I never thought that could happen. Sure. If I, if I, I, I would dream about a, a change like that, you know, just any more understanding between humans, especially humans who are, who are related, you know, it's, there's so much that pulls us apart. So if there's one tiny thing in this film that pulls them together, then, you know, to me, it's like, holy crap, um, that's a, that's a, you know, job accomplished, you know, but, and and another thing actually that I was going to say, the second thing, which was really interesting is that, you know, we, we've been to over like, I would say more than 75 festivals worldwide from, you know, everywhere from Scandinavia to Mexico to all over Canada, US, you know, we were in Hong Kong, like, you know, we were in, you know, Myanmar, like, everywhere. And now I didn't go to all of them, but I did go to a lot. And one kind of demo 
that I did not expect <laughs> to be so moved by the film is like straight cis dudes mm. who were like, would come up to me and just be like, I've never thought about my masculinity a at all, <laughs> but B in that way. And that like, it just made them think about their masculinity in, in ways that they never even thought or to, to reexamine it or to just whatever, what makes a man, you know? And like, I, I those conversations were really kind of striking. I was really, really happy to get those. And it, it, that's surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah. That like totally unrelated, but not exactly. I, this may, I don't know. Well, I'm, I've, uh, I started telling the story. I was accompanying a choir like 10 years ago or so in Texas. I grew up in Texas and I was playing the piano for this choir at their UIL competition. And I was backstage with these guys that were in this men's chorus and there are all these big jock looking dudes were backstage. And I was like, oh shit, here it comes. Thinking like they were going to be fucking with these guys. And they were like, that was fucking awesome. Like freaking out in this way that like, I don't know if it's the same kind of surprise, but it's that same like, wait, these guys aren't complete idiots. And they're like, I don't know, like it seems there's an evolution happening, however small, in that demographic as well. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, if people are there and, and if they're there, that to me, they're open to receiving that. And, and you know, whatever whatever it takes, you know, like I said, even if it's just a small moment or I don't know, it's it's I think that moment that we were talking about in the in the the big boy interview um, mm-hmm. was like that moment of stepping on stage, uh, you know, and being seen and accepted for who you are, even if you aren't looking like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know what I mean? I think that moment is very liberating. I wonder what that's like for you as a as a filmmaker, like first full length film, first documentary, and it's being seen. Are you having that sense of like, ah, I did this <laughs> thing and now everyone's seeing it. And ah, like, you know, like. I'm thinking of myself in terms of how I perceive my work and that idea of like being really aware of the flaws and how like, Oh, I wish I would have known how to get this part quote unquote. Right. Like, how how are you feeling in that way of like the film is now showing up as it is for a lot of people? Oh, I mean that fucking kills me because I was literally learning how to shoot through the course of the film. And I got the stuff I shot after a year was so much better than the stuff I shot in the beginning. Um, And and like, yeah, sitting through film festival screenings, like I had to kind of stop. I mean, I would probably sat through like 30 screenings, but like after a while, I'm like, I think I'm going to go, you know, talk on the phone or like read during the screening and come back after. Cause there's these little mistakes and things that, you know, I, I just didn't have anything to fix it with. I had what I had. And, and there's something beautiful about just like using what you have and found objects and creating whatever art you make from that, whether it's music or visual or film. So like that part of it, I leaned into it, but yeah, it, it, if I just know so much more now and I know so much more about producing and God, even if I just had one person with me, like an intern or a PA, like, you know, I was producing, shooting, do, running audio, asking questions, you know, worrying about safety transportation, like all these things that I was doing at once while I was literally trying to get stuff on film and get audio on, you know, down to match with it. Like, yeah, I, I just feel like I should never do anything ever again unless I have a little bit more support. And and that's going to be about fundraising and, and stuff. And but yeah, it's 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 a process and, and having people see it, too. It's helpful that people don't say you know, it's, it's helpful that people are like, oh, my God, I never would have known that's your first film or, you know, our finishing was so beautiful, our coloring and, you know, our, our post process, like we really elevated the film. And, and I feel really lucky we got to do that. But, you know, it's helpful that people say, oh, my God, I didn't notice that. 
even though it's something that, you know, is always glaring for me. Yeah. I, it's, I, I love it. It feels like it combines like genres of, I love watching vlogs and like just handheld, like what do they call it? Like run and go or like, yeah, run and gun. Yeah. Run and gun, like looking stuff. And and having it mixed with the like really great let's see I'm trying to use trying to use my filmmaker vocabulary that right. I barely have uh, the like the B roll and the different like the shots that you captured or whichever camera person captured intermingle with that stuff I loved it it was a nice like it was nice to go back and forth between um, really crisp beautiful looking shots and like a iPhone shot. Like I love that. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely like, I mean, I probably shot about 85% of it, maybe 90%. And so, and then I, I also learned better how to set up really beautiful formal interviews too. So it's like it, for me having the balance of the stability of those moments or when we were able to hire some other camera help for like competition, that's when it was like, you know, it's just beautiful. It's like, it's like, you know, they're like works of art up on stage. And I wanted it to feel like that and look like that. And and that's why I was really lucky. I feel like all the kind of run and gun stuff, um, and ad hoc stuff kind of earned that like final moment on stage, you know, where it's just like everyone's glowing and golden and it's just beautiful. Yeah. And we see your process as a filmmaker too, like through that timeline, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, I was thinking of asking you a favorite film, but I, you're an author too. So maybe quick favorite film, favorite book. Oh man. Or really? either, or you can name a few or you don't have to answer at all. Like this is all up to you. <laughs> I, are you allowed to say a Woody Allen film anymore? Or is that like a, um, I think the fact that you asked that question clears you. <laughs> okay. Annie Hall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that film too. I mean, it's near perfect, you know, I mean, I, I use it like I, you know, I, I teach, um, writing also at Emory, mm-hmm. I teach fiction writing and I also have been teaching TV writing cause I've been writing for television a lot lately. Um, and I use scenes from Annie Hall for fiction writing courses because I just think there's so much to be learned, um, about character development and dialogue and subtext. Um, and I don't know, I just think it's like certain people at certain times, all these little things come together and you make the perfect film, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's like a perfect film. That and is, I love New York, oh. anything, anything New York history. Um, and then books, like, I mean, I love, I love Joan Didion, like for nonfiction, I love, you know, slouching towards Bethlehem. It, you know, it's just kind of like a classic for me. I love for fiction, you know, Philip Roth, uh, Portnoy's complaint is kind of a, a touchstone for me as well. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, storytelling's changed so much for me. You know, it's literally adapted from like sit and write a book for five years and then it comes out a year later, you know, yeah. to like now, you know, I'm literally on set, you know, rewriting scenes for James Spader on the blacklist. And then, you know, two seconds later it's shot. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it it's, it just, things have changed because storytelling has changed. Like you can't make a living, um, you can't li- make a living necessarily the way that I was as a, as a, somebody who purely wrote fiction. So I really had to kind of adapt and, and my storytelling and my, what I like about storytelling has adapted. So I'm kind of all over the place, but those are, those are definitely authors and books that, that have always inspired me. Uh, love it. I, I have like this, it's only happened like two or three times. I have these random six month periods in my life where I'm like, my God, reading is great. 
and I read a lot. <laughs> and it's as if I've never read anything before. And then I just stop and don't read again for years. So well, I'm thinking. Good. That's good. If you don't have a memory, that's perfect. Because you're like, it's like you're discovering it new every time. Yeah, like a new thing of reading words. <laughs> <laughs> On paper. <laughs> It's crazy. They put them in these binding things where they're like the pages are together. I, I know it's it's fakakta. People, people carrying them in their bags. I, I don't. They just collect dust. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I think we can wrap it up at this lovely spot. Um, I'm really grateful you were able to talk to me again and um, talk about the film. And congratulations on all its success. Thank you. So, thanks so much for watching again and for coming um, to the screening. And awesome. Have a good uh, rest of the day. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Okay. Talk to you later. Take care.